0: It's Marissa and you are listening to From Boise. I have another cute Christmassy story for you today. This story is from Amanda Patchen. She pitched me with the idea of a story about some great pieces of Christmas advice that she has received. And I absolutely love how this turned out. I actually have never heard any of this advice, so perhaps it will come to a surprise to you too. So in this story, I just want to preface this. Amanda says I, and so I just want to be clear that those eyes are Amanda, not me, Marissa. Not that I don't agree with them. I just want to make sure I'm not like stealing her thunder, you know, also in some of these instances, she's, you know, it's like a different experience. Like she talks about being a mom and I'm not a mom. I'm a cat mom. So it's different. (laughs) <laughs> but anyways, I just want to make sure that you, you know, know that. But anyways, you can find this story in the newsletter, which is in your inbox or from com, And of course, there's photos that go along with it, including a photo, of a recipe mentioned in the story, if you were looking for that. All right. Enjoy. This is the best Christmas advice I've ever received written by Amanda Patchen. One. Woman cannot live on fudge and coffee alone. Tis the season, and I love fudge, but starting a December morning with coffee and fudge is a disaster waiting to happen. Many a year, I have spent the week of Christmas having fudge or cookies for breakfast, then finding myself weirdly tired and grumpy at 11 a.m. Sometimes I would even compound the problem by then going back for more fudge to try and fix the situation. Starting instead with a couple of over-easy eggs or a sausage patty or a warm bowl of oatmeal cooked with blackberries from the green belt saved in my freezer means that I can enjoy the fudge and coffee, but I will probably eat a bit less of it and I won't suffer from a sugar-slash-caffeine crash mid-morning. It's funny that something so simple, and that so obviously makes me happier as well as healthier, would be so hard to figure out on my own but I did need the advice of an older friend to figure this out. My favorite fudge is my mom's old peanut butter recipe. It's easy to make, delicious, and you can adjust the sweetness by reducing the powdered sugar content slightly. Two or 3 little pieces with a nice rich cup of coffee or English breakfast tea hits the spot. You can find this recipe in the newsletter. Two. Gifts should make everything better and they are genuinely optional. Gift-giving is often overwhelming, and in most families, the responsibility of making sure everyone has something typically falls on one person. While I enjoy giving gifts, I can get burned out by trying to think of something for everyone and trying to balance the stress of budgeting and considering everyone's unique desires. For my husband and my sons, I do take the time and put in the energy to figure out their specific desires for that year and come up with a special gift for them. However, for my extended circle, I use two separate but overlapping approaches. The first is to give most everyone on my list the same gift. I have a lot of nieces and nephews. Sometime in December, I head to the bookstore, usually rediscovered, and buy a book for every single one of them. The babies get cute little board books, the toddlers get some kind of picture book, early readers get copies of Calvin and Hobbes, or old, and older ones get various middle grade or classic novels. Anne of Green Gables is my favorite classic this year. For the adults in the family, my first approach usually involves discovering something new and exciting and then wanting to share it with everyone. One year, I bought everybody a pair of darn tough wool socks. They were a huge hit. Socks may not seem all that exciting, but durable lifetime guaranteed socks kind of are. This year, my husband is making wooden spoons and spatulas for everyone, but shh, don't tell. Hopefully none of them are listening to this podcast. My second approach is to pick some consumable good that I know someone likes and then get them or make them the same thing every year. My mother-in-law loves the candy dolmens I make, so I give her a big jar of them every Christmas. My husband's stocking is always filled with homemade Chex Mix. My sister-in-law loves bubble baths, so I buy her fancy bubble bath for mixed greens every year. And a brother-in-law loves good whiskey, so I just pick out a bottle knowing he'll enjoy it. The key with both of these is that I try to never buy or make a gift for someone that is not either a durable, useful thing or a consumable that I know they will enjoy. If I can't do either of those things, then there is no reason to get someone a gift at all. Nobody needs more clutter in their life. Nobody needs obligatory gift exchanges. We do all need more wool socks though. Here's a good quote. If you want a golden rule that will fit everything, this is it. Have nothing in your house that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. That's from William Morris. Okay, number three. If you fast before Christmas, then you don't get depressed after Christmas. This one is more a cultural custom than particular advice I've received. In the Christian church, the feast of Christmas was preceded by a four-week fast called Advent. During the weeks preceding Christmas, one was not supposed to eat meat, and in the Eastern Church, one also had to abstain from all eggs and dairy. Many Christians also abstained entirely from alcohol and sweets during the four weeks as well. Whichever particular form the fast takes, it typically results in genuine excitement for Christmas dinner and for the relaxation of the fast in the following weeks. Christmas cookies taste even better if you've gone four weeks without any sweets, and the beef tenderloin I make for Christmas dinner is extra delicious after weeks without so much as a hamburger. In our very consumerist culture, with Christmas music, Christmas decorations, and Christmas food starting earlier and earlier, the idea of some kind of fasting or restriction before the holiday may seem odd and is sometimes quite difficult to manage. But the discipline of it does genuinely make the holiday more fun in the moment. And it prevents that bloated, depressed, overloaded feeling that normally accompanies the morning of the 26th, nonstop cookies and parties and cocktails and gift giving before the holiday deflates it. Conscious abstination and patience allows for it to be full and exciting without leaving a hangover. Four, everyone loves pie. This was originally a bit of advice about Thanksgiving, but it applies to Christmas very well. There is no reason to negotiate over which kinds of pie to have. Everyone should have their favorite. Yes, sometimes this means that there are as many pies as people, but you know what? That's okay. If everyone makes some, then everyone can take home lots of slices for leftovers in their own pie plate. Once a year, it's good to have pecan pie, even if you are the only one who likes it. I love pecan pie. It has been my favorite since my great-grand-aunt used to send us a bag of unshelled pecans from her orchard in Georgia. I would crack hundreds of them to get the nice full halves that my mother would use to top the pie. I love the pecans themselves, but even more, I love the flaky pastry right where it meets the sweetness of the filling. Unfortunately, I'm the only one in my family who likes it. My husband says it's too sweet. My boys prefer apple or mocha crunch or huckleberry pie. For years, I didn't make one because I don't need to eat a whole pie myself. But then a friend mentioned that it was her husband's favorite too, and he never got one because he was the only one who liked it. Well, it made no sense for us all to be pecan pie just because we didn't happen to have families who enjoyed the same things. Ever since, I have made a pecan pie for myself and shared it with whoever I found that wanted some, even if there is no one else to enjoy it. You can have pecan pie with your breakfast for a week and not die. I've thoroughly tested this theory. Five, Christmas lasts until January 6th. This is another cultural one. Traditionally, in addition to fasting through Advent, the Christian church celebrated Christmas for 12 days. We all know the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, but it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I realized that it is not about the days leading up to Christmas, but about the 12 whole days that counted as Christmas. It is in this tradition that we most fully see the human need for joy and celebration in the middle of the darkest part of the year. January is often quite difficult for its darkness and cold, unless you're big into winter sports. And a two-week feast as the year turns was a wonderful way for our ancestors to energize themselves to endure its difficulties. Most of us don't have to worry too much about the cold. I do have to go out and feed the chickens each morning. But my outside chores are pretty limited and i get to spend much of the winter in cozily temperature controlled spaces with a warm red blanket and as much coffee or tea as i would like however viewing christmas as a 12-day season has actually helped me a bit by delaying the quote start of christmas in my home and then giving it a little bit more space after the 25th is over i've already mentioned enjoying leftover pie with breakfast And that is actually one of the ways I continue to mark the feast of Christmas. By not gorging before Christmas, I justify the extra sweets to myself and to my workout routine. Pie with breakfast is really no more absurd than cold cereal for breakfast, but it does feel extra special and festive. I also keep my Christmas gifts out for a while before incorporating them into my daily life. Even though I love to give and receive practical gifts, I don't like to make them ordinary by storing them away immediately. I clear up my desk before Christmas Day and make space where I can enjoy the new set of socks or soaps or journals out and admire and enjoy them before they join their proper places in drawers and on shelves. I feel more gratitude in this way, spread out over 12 days of noticing them. I don't decorate very much, but everyone in my family loves the warm glow of candlelight and twinkle lights, and so any of them that we have out for Christmas stay up through the end of Christmas on January 6th, or honestly, sometimes somewhat longer. Early mornings and late evenings are very pleasant in the soft and flickering glow of candlelight. So enjoy the holidays. May they bring you through the darkest weeks of winter and ready for the renewal of spring again, this story was written by Amanda Patchen. I just love those pieces of advice. I hadn't heard any of those before, but I, you know, as a like, okay, I'm not a Christmas hater, but like Christmas is not my favorite holiday by far. And this kind of like made me, I think I can get on board with Christmas if I do these things. So that one came from Amanda Patchen and Amanda has a monthly-ish newsletter where she shares her book list selections from her fiction, and updates on what books she has for sale in the Zed Bookshop. You can find a link to that in the show notes. And you can find a photo of Amanda's fudge recipe along with some other photos in today's newsletter. All right. Thanks for listening.